Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 27, verse 11. My son, be wise and make my heart glad, that I may answer him who reproaches me. Here we have a pleading father trying to open his, eye, his son's eyes to the responsibility that he bears. This proverb illuminates the deep connection between parents and children. As members of the same family, the kids represent their parents. Hence, a wise son does make a father glad. He makes the family look good. Moreover, the representation here is is more than superficial because the connection is made to answering one who reproaches the father. If his son is wise, the father can answer with security and safety. However, by implication... A foolish son deprives his father of an answer against reproach. You get the picture of a dad answering the phone and going, Oh no, what did he do now? This sort of thing is important in families. But it has broader application. Who your friends are and how they behave says something about you. Wisdom means practicing discernment about who you identify with, who you hang out with, what connections you make, which groups you join. Also, the truth here is behind the qualifications for elders and deacons, that they must be men whose houses are in order, whose children are more or less faithful. For if a man cannot rule his own house well, how can he rule the family of God? If the gospel is not alive in your home, How can you spread it beyond? This is vital because the gospel works from the inside out, from our hearts outward, which means loving God and neighbor starts with our closest neighbors, our families. Finally, we are all sons and daughters of God, so we should take this exhortation to heart in that regard. As Christians, we bear witness to Jesus Christ. Don't make him look bad. Be wise and walk circumspectly so that he may rejoice in you and that you may rejoice in him. This said, we all fail. We all sin. And all sin is folly. But here is where we rejoice in the gospel because wisdom is humble confession of sin and faith in Jesus' promises of forgiveness. So please kneel if you're able. Let us pray to our God for forgiveness. Father in heaven, come before you this morning and we 
thank you that you've given to us your word. We thank you that you've called us together to worship you. We thank you that you have assured us of your pardon. We thank you that you consecrate us in worship. We ask now that as we hear your word proclaimed, that it would purify us. Help us to understand and to see your truth, that we might know you better. Because knowing you is salvation. Father, I pray for your blessing on this message. May it challenge our hearts. And may it challenge our lives. May you use it to further your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started into our study of the second section of the Apostles' Creed, which is about Jesus Christ. And we got about that far. We learned that Jesus' name reveals to us God's purpose in sending him to us. Jesus means Savior, and God's purpose in sending him was to save the world. And his title, Christ, reveals his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. So we know what his purpose and his role is. Today we're going to be talking about who he is. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is this anointed Savior that God has sent into the world to save the world? And what we're going to find is that Jesus, who fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies and prophecies, is the only Son of God the Father. And he is also our Lord. The Creed says, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. As God's Son, he is divine. As our Lord, he became man to show us God and to lead us into relationship with God. So essentially what we're going to be studying today is the personhood of Jesus Christ. Who is he? He has two natures. One is divine and the other human. These two different natures are perfectly and inseparably united in one person. We have a theological term for this called the hypostatic union. This term comes from our sermon text today, which is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to read our text. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In verse 3, the word translated person is the Greek word hypostasis. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This word hypostasis is actually a little bit difficult to translate. It comes from the joining together of two words, hypo meaning under, and istimi, which means standing or 
or holding, standing up. So thus it is a standing under, and it means the foundation or the support structure behind something. And so we get meanings such as nature or essence or foundation from this word. In other contexts, it means assurance or confidence. Because whatever is standing under whatever you're talking about is, is why the, the context determines what the specific uh, translation is. Here it means that Jesus is a perfect representation of God's nature. Who being the brightness of his glory, of God's glory, and the express image, express image, that word, is, it's like a facsimile, it's, it's a perfect copy it's, it's an ideal representation of his hypostasis, of God's nature. And in, in the, the uh, ESV, the NASV, they translate it as nature. The NRSV says his very being. Jesus represents God's very being. In the New King James, our text that I read, says it's God's person that is revealed. In his divinity, Jesus perfectly reveals who God is to us. What God's nature is like. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of the Father. As God's only Son, he's divine. And we already touched on this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Trinitarian structure of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in a triune God, one God in three persons. Within the Trinity, Jesus is both equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he's subordinate to the Father and over the Holy Spirit. But he's equal in his essence, in his being, in his nature, in his hypostasis, in his personhood. He's divine in his essence. Paul tells us in Philippians that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Philippians 2, verses 5 and 6. Jesus himself tells us that he and the Father are one. In fact, it gets him in trouble with the scribes and the Pharisees in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them. Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus is divine. This is consistent with John's teaching in chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. After the resurrection, Thomas worshipped Jesus, calling Him, My Lord and my God, in John chapter 20, verse 28. And in Romans 9, Paul says that Christ is overall Eternally blessed God. Amen. And of course, in the Great Commission, in the baptismal formula, Jesus declares his divinity by baptizing us in his name. 
From our text in Hebrews 1, we see that Jesus is divine. He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person and upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, why does it matter that Jesus is equal to God the Father? And it matters. In fact, it's been a big deal. The church has had councils over this fact. Why does it matter that Jesus is equal with God the Father? It is only in this way that he could adequately bear his offices of prophet, priest, and king and accomplish his mission to be our Savior. The Bible tells us that he is equal to the Father. And and the Bible tells us that he must be equal to the Father so that he can be our perfect high priest, prophet, and king. If he were not perfect, or if he were not God, he could not have borne our trespasses and lived. He would have been obliterated by death. He could not have atoned for our sin and been our Savior. Because he is God, Jesus is to be prayed to and through. We must pray to him because he is God. He perfectly reveals truth and absolutely reveals truth through his word and spirit. So we pray to him, asking him to reveal these things to us. Because he's God, he can intercede for us. Because he's omniscient. He knows what we need. Because He's omnipresent, He knows where we are. That's why He can be our high priest. And He rules from heaven with a rod of iron, being our omnipotent King. As God, He has the power to change our fortunes, to bless us, or to hold us accountable, to discipline us. Therefore, we pray to Him, Because he is God. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And finally it matters that Jesus is equal with God the Father. Because he is worthy of our praise and our worship. He is worthy because he is God. In fact because he is God. Every knee and every tongue must bow down and confess that he is our Lord and Savior. The eternal son of the father. But at the same time. Despite their being equal. In the working out of our salvation. There's a hierarchy of authority. That is revealed to us in the trinity. Jesus is the son of the father. Now this is a perfect and a holy hierarchy. God the Father holds authority over Jesus the Son. But that authority is held and used only for the absolute good of all parties involved. But it is present. And it is revealed to us in the Word. And that's important. Because the Word reveals to us that Jesus is in a Son-Father relationship with the Father. Jesus submits himself to the Father's will. 
This is something we find in many different places in Scripture, in the Gospels, in Jesus' teachings, in his prayers, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cried out to be delivered from the will of God, from, from the death of the cross. For now, we're going to simply turn to our text in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God speaks to us through Jesus. It's God who has in these last days spoken to us through his Son, by his Son. God the Father is speaking to us by his Son. And he appoints Jesus to be heir, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And he utilizes Jesus for creation, through whom also he made the worlds. And finally, Jesus sat down at God's right hand in glory. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Showing his willingness to bear all that has been given to him. All the authority that has been given to him in heaven and earth. In submission to God the Father. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that God has revealed to us that he is the Father to the Son in the Trinity. This is a revelation of God's interpersonal relationship within the Trinity. It shows us what love is. It shows us how love works, and it shows us how God works. God created the world with authority structures in it. We live in a society with authority structures in it. You cannot escape authority structures. Now these authority structures in the world are broken and sinful and wickedness happens, oppression happens. But the wickedness is not in the authority. It's in how it's exercised. Because we see perfect and holy authority in God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We see perfect and holy submission in God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And perfect and holy submission and authority brings life. It brings peace. It brings fullness. It brings grace. It has the fruit of the Spirit everywhere. There's hope in it. It's important that we see the sonship and God's fathership because it gives us a starting point from which we can begin to understand loving authority on earth. God is not our authority because he's a despot. He's not like Allah. Submit or else. Top down. He bears his authority in order to bless us, to fill us with life. Jesus doesn't submit in a cowering, fearful way, but in joy and strength. Together, they accomplish the salvation of the world. Jesus lives up to his name. Going back to our text, verse 3. Jesus purged our sins before he rested and ruled at God's right hand. That's the work of the authority of God, the Father. We see the exercise of our God's love and authority as bestowing, as life bestowing. Life overflows into creation, it overflows into us. But in order for it to come to us, 
In order for us to receive this love, this salvation from God, Jesus had to become a man. Jesus had to enter into our struggle. He not only has a divine nature, but that divine nature is absolutely and mystically united with his human nature. Don't freak out because I use the word mystically. It's mysterious though. It defies explanation. To understand perfectly and completely how one person can have a completely divine nature and a completely human nature and it doesn't rip his personhood apart. That's the hypostatic union though. The mystical union. That is another theological term for it. Because Jesus Christ is God, but Jesus Christ is man also. He's God in the flesh. As our Lord, Jesus enters into our humanity. And he did so. He became a man. He did this for a very specific reason. The Bible tells us he did this in order to reveal God to us. Remember John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14 and verse 18. And the only begotten son has declared the father to the world. That's what he's come to do, to reveal who God is. Now, this term only begotten is very important. And it's important because we are all sons and daughters of God. We are all his offspring. But Jesus, as a man, is unique in his sonship. This is why Christmas and the Incarnation is a big deal. Jesus' miraculous birth is important. It's at the heart of his claim to be who he is. This is why the birth narratives of Matthew and Luke take take such great pains to declare his origins. Luke 1, 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Why is He called the Son of God? Well, because God is His literal Father. He's God's only begotten Son. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And we know this is true because of this. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. They understood how things worked back then. It was the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin. And we know this. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your wife, take to you your wife Mary. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. 
God is now with us in Jesus Christ. In his humanity, being the exact imprint of God's nature, Jesus shows men what God is like. He came to save the world. He shows us what God's love is. We read in 1 John 4, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God had sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. He came to reconcile us. He came to be our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. What's the value in a mediator? What's the purpose of a mediator? The mediator understands both sides and reconciles them, brings peace to them. That's what Jesus came to do. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to become like us. He had to become human so that he could bear our sin. If he, if he wasn't human, he couldn't atone for human wickedness. Hebrews 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus knows us. He knows us to the bottom of our hearts. He sees our motivations. He sees our whims. He sees every sin that we do. He, he understands our weakness. How we fall into it. He understands our pain. A high priest who cannot, cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might, may obtain mercy and find grace in help in time of need. Grace to help in time of need. Jesus reconciles us to God. He makes peace. He gives hope because he became human. He shows to us God's mercy. And Jesus is the servant king. In his office of, of, of ruler, king, he rules graciously and kindly. He says, I hold authority not like the world does, but look what I do. I stoop down and wash your feet. I come, I, I, I heal your sickness. I forgive your sins. I wash your uncleanness. I raise your dead. His rule is gracious and kind. His mercy is front and center. And this is most evident when we see that he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He died for us. 
which was a bitter agony for him. And we'll be spending more time looking at that as we get closer to, to uh, Good Friday, Passion Week. So why does it matter that Jesus took on our human flesh and united himself mystically but truly and perfectly to our human nature? Why does that matter? It's only in this that we can see God. How could we have comprehended a loving God without him showing us what that is like? Jesus opens our eyes to our God and his love. There's no way that men could comprehend or understand God's grace and salvation outside of Jesus. That's why he tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way for us to find hope or peace. He enters into our struggles with us. God's not impartial. He's not distant. He's not wholly other. No, he cries for us. He weeps with us. He grieves with us. He he hungers. He thirsts. He bleeds. He's here. He died for us and he lives for us. The life he lives He lives on our behalf. What is he doing? He's at God's right hand interceding for us. Take this home with you. You are not alone. You are never alone. God loves you. He loved you enough to feel your pain and hear your prayers and understand your fears and your concerns. He sent you a friend, a perfect friend, a merciful Savior. He sent you the way to know Him. And to know Him is to be saved. Finally, in His humanity, Jesus united humanity to His divinity. Jesus accomplishes His divine mission. He saves humanity. He takes us from the utter condemnation of the devil and of our sin and guilt. And he's given us complete victory. He gives us victory over sin and death. As the God-man, Jesus is our Lord. God honored his sacrifice. The death that he died for us. God raised him from the dead. And in the resurrection and the ascension, God has vindicated him as his son. He's declared him as divine. And he has given him all authority in heaven and earth. So that Jesus might rule his kingdom till all his enemies are put under his foot. In his personhood, Jesus is the one and perfect mediator who is our Lord and God. Now this requires... Absolute and total submission to him in all things. Jesus showed us the way. Not my will but thy will be done. 
even to the death of the cross. Jesus showed us the way. He gave total and absolute submission to God the Father. But this submission is a submission that is done in hope and for the promise of glory. Jesus followed the Father's will to the cross, but His way established the peace and glorification of all mankind. We must be like Jesus and follow Him with abandon. Paul says, run the race. Cut loose everything that holds you back. We must follow him with abandon wherever he leads us. We may not make idols in our hearts or our lives. God will not tolerate it. He will crush it. When it comes to seeking him and his will, everything is on the table. God's in control. He does with us as he will. Jesus may require of us our very lives. How much more our stuff, our jobs, our families, our pride. But whatever we give up in his service, we give up in faith and hope. Because he, he sees and he truly discerns our hurts and our needs. What Jesus has shown us is that God cares. He's numbered the hairs on our heads. He shows us that we're safe in Him. We can rest in Him. We can trust Him. It's not a spiritual health and wealth gospel. We live in a fallen world. And we suffer because of it. Our struggle is real. Our fears are our hard to fight. Our loneliness is real. Our, our frustrations, our hurts are real. But Jesus enters into our struggles with us. Because he's God, he hears and intercedes. Because he has accomplished our salvation, we know that God is for us and not against us. And because of who he is, we worship and rest in him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you and we thank you for who you are. That in your essence, you are gracious and merciful, kind and forgiving, just and righteous. And you forgive our sins. Lord, we pray that you will take away all the stops in our following of Jesus. We pray that you will open our hearts to your truth and help us to stand on your gospel. We pray that you will fill us with light 
And give us a faithful testimony that bears witness of your glory. We pray that you will heal our hurts. That you will forgive our sins. And that you will bless us as we learn to live according to your law. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And we conclude as you tell us to season of Lent and uh, before we celebrate this meal, I'd like us to consider the righteousness which Christ has given to us, which he has credited to us. I'd like to begin, read Matthew 3, 5, uh, Matthew 3, 13 to 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to baptize you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. I want us to focus on Jesus' last words there. Let us, and it says, Let it now be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness is our obedience to God's, God's law. And apart from Christ, this obedience is totally impossible. This text tells us that Jesus was sent to fulfill all righteousness. For the Jews, that meant obeying every jot and tittle of the law. In undergoing baptism, Jesus was not acting for himself, but for his people. Since his people were required to keep the Ten Commandments, he had to keep the Ten Commandments. Likewise, since his people were now required, according to the commandment of the prophet John the Baptist, to be baptized, he had to submit to it as well. Jesus had to adhere to the whole law of God because of because of the redemption he was not because redemption was not accomplished solely on the cross. God did not send God to Je- God did not send Jesus to earth on Good Friday just to die on the cross. He had to die for our sins, but he also had to live for our righteousness. If God had only died for our sins, his sacrifice would have removed our guilt. But that would have left us merely sinless in the sight of God, but not righteous. We would have not have been able to do anything to obey the law of God. So you see, Christ's death paid for the penalty of our sin, and because of his life, he was able to assign to us righteousness and call us righteous. Because of both, we are invited. Now we've even been commanded to come here to this table he has prepared for us. And invited to the table are all who have been baptized and are under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. When we eat this bread and drink this wine, together we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. So welcome. Welcome to Christ's table. Christ's body, broken for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.